Hey, True Life, how you guys doing? We have been in a series uh, about the book of Philippians, and today we're wrapping that series up. And I'm really excited to go through this chapter. We're going to be in Philippians 4, so if you have a Bible uh, or a tablet or a phone or, or something that gives you access to the Bible, you can go ahead and go to Philippians 4. We're going to spend our whole time in there today. What I want to do for just a second is recap what we've learned from the other three chapters, and then we're going to jump right into Philippians 4. And uh, we don't have any pictures this week of selfies or, or anything like that. Uh, we are on a time crunch today because they're showing a movie somewhat early. So if after service any of you can stick around to help, we definitely could use the help tearing down today. Uh, but anyway, back to Philippians. So the first week, uh, the message was titled, Joy No Matter What. And we preached through the first chapter in Philippians. And we talked about the difference between happiness and joy. That happiness is external and joy is internal. Happiness often is based on our circumstances. Joy is based on the Lord, and it's based on what he's done for us. We talked about that being a Christian is a win-win. Paul says in, in, in chapter 1 that to live is Christ, to die is gain, meaning that if we get to live, if we keep living, it's so that we can spread the gospel, so we can spread Jesus. If we die, it's gain because we get to see Jesus. In the second week, Michael talked about joy beyond ourselves. He talked about, uh, you might have heard this phrase from Lady Gaga, to live for the applause. And that's what the world does, that they live for the applause. It's all about them. Look at me, look at me. And that's the week where we kind of talked about selfies, right? That everybody's kind of like, look at me, look at me, pay attention to me. Um, but that the opposite of that is, is a Christian's life, that it should be modeled after Christ. Jesus came and he said, I come not to be served, but to serve. And so in turn, as Christians, we do the same thing. We serve those around us in our relationships. We're intentional about our relationships, and and we enter them with humility. And then last week was joy's focus. And we talked about the focus of our joy is Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he provides for us through his gift on the cross. That we can't earn it through religion, that we can't ignore it through irreligion or, or through sinful living. Uh, but that we have to forget our past and move forward. That everything behind us, we forget it. We just, we, we put it out of our minds and we move forward to what Christ has. And I say that and some of you are like, good, then I'm living that out because I forgot everything you just said. So I must be living out Philippians 3. That's not what I'm trying to say. But um, today we're going to be in Philippians 4. So I want to go to the verse that we've been opening with every week. It's Philippians 4, 4. And it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. Can you guys say that with me? Let's read that again. We did this last week, but let's read that verse together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. All right. Some of you guys got it. Cool. Uh, Was it different up there? It is. All right. Let's read this version. All right. Here we go. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. It's the same context. All right. Um, so good job. It would have been great if you guys had just all read the wrong version and I was the only one saying it. Uh, I would have liked that. Um, all right. So that, that's what we're focused on. And I said this last week, but I'll, I'll say it again. I love this verse because it shows us this important truth, and that's that joy is a choice. It's not something that just happens. It's not something based off our circumstances. It's a choice. Because, and here's why I know. Because Paul wouldn't command the church that he's writing to to do something that they have no control over. Right? And I said this last week, he wouldn't say, always have a good day, or always have great circumstances, or always be happy about everything. He, he doesn't say that, but he does tell them to always be joyful, to always rejoice in the Lord. And the big idea there is that our circumstances, they'll fluctuate greatly, and if our joy is based off them, our joy will fluctuate greatly. 
But the Lord is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if our joy is based on him, then our joy is also consistent. And so we've been coming back to this verse every week, but what I want to do today, since we're now in chapter four, is I want to read the verses around this. Uh, It's what preachers would call the context or contextualizing the verse, that that we would understand the context, the meaning, the surrounding of this verse. And and one thing I'll just kind of geek out on for a second, when you hear a verse in a sermon, whether it's from me or Michael or some other church, some other preacher, I encourage you, go home and study the verses around it. Read the whole chapter. We're limited to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning normally, and so we can't read whole chapters normally of the Bible to you. This series is a little bit different. We are going through chapter by chapter, but most of the time we can't. And so I encourage you, read the whole chapter, read the surrounding verses, understand what the author was trying to get across. And so let's go to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, and we're going to read the verses that are around this verse. He says this, I entreat Erodi, and I entreat Sintrich, and let me just say with biblical names, just say them fast and people think you know what you're talking about. Uh, To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So throughout this chapter and throughout really the whole book of Philippians, Paul gives us keys to joy. He gives us things that if we do, if we live out, we'll experience the most joy in the Lord. And I think we stumbled across one here as he's helping sort out a conflict in a young church that he helped plant. And that's encouraging to me just right there that there's conflict in a church that Paul planted. Uh, because if you've been here long or if you've been in any church long, you'll know that there's conflict amongst believers. That sometimes we kind of butt heads. Sometimes we get in arguments. Sometimes there's disagreement or there's drama or there's things that have to be worked out. And it's encouraging to me to know that a church that Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament planted, had some conflict. Enough that he wrote home about it. Enough that he's writing back to the church and saying, hey, help these women stop arguing. Look, help them to agree in the Lord. Remind them of what we're doing here, right? And so one of the keys to joy is, is right in this passage, and I love it. It's in verse five, and it jumped out at me this week like it never has before. He says this, be reasonable. That's the key to joy. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And as I read that verse this week, it really jumped out at me. I don't know if you guys have had this experience where you've read a passage a bunch of different times in your life, and you didn't realize that that word or that phrase or that thing was there, uh, that happened to me with this. I thought, wow, Paul's commanding the church to be reasonable. Like, that's, I, I never caught that. I never thought that as a, a Christian thing, to be reasonable. And so I asked my wife, I was like, hey, in general, because Paul's commanding us to be known, to have a reputation of being reasonable, in general, do you think Christians are known for being reasonable people? Right, I just like, I asked my wife that and there was, she like thought about it. No, not really, not so much in the public eye, probably not. Uh, like we're not known necessarily for being the most reasonable people. It's not always our reputation, but wouldn't it be awesome if that was our reputation? And the only people that get to change the reputation or what we're known for is us, right? Like we're the church, like we were just singing, we are the church. And so if we change the way we act and treat people and live, then that becomes our reputation. And and so Paul's saying that we should be known for being reasonable. It means that we wouldn't be known for picking fights and protesting everything and and poor arguments against celebrities or politicians or scientists or whoever we want to fight with this week in the news. It means that we wouldn't be getting offended and making statements all the time about how someone offended us. Uh, It would mean that we're we're reasonable. Uh, It means that when when we disagree with people, we assume the best about them, that we show humility, that we show grace, 
that we assume, man, maybe, maybe they're not out to get me. Maybe everyone in the world is not out to get me, right? Uh, if we could change that about us. Because in the end, you'll have more joy in your life if you live like this. And you'll have less joy if you do assume the worst about everyone. And you do assume everyone's out to get you. Practically, for me, I, I was thinking, you know what? This means that I should and I do have friends that I disagree with on important issues, right? Like I have friends that are atheists. I have friends that are Muslims. I have friends that are gay. I have friends that disagree with me on things that to me I hold dear and I think are important. And I'm not just tolerating them as sinners because Jesus told me to love them. Like I actually am friends with them. I enjoy talking to them. I enjoy eating lunch with them. It means that when we have conversations, sometimes it's about those important issues. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's how was your weekend? How is your family because I actually love you and we have a friendship, right? Like, like if all I did was yell at them about the things that they're wrong about, we wouldn't talk, right? Like we, we would never talk. Um, and so for us, man, I, I was just praying this week that our church, the true life, that we would be known for being reasonable. That when people disagree with us, they know they can still have a dialogue with us. They know they can still have a conversation that we're not just gonna jump on them and, and, and try to shove things down their throat, like that we're going to be reasonable, Right, And I know this doesn't get a lot of applause. It doesn't get a lot of hoots and hollers because it's not sexy, right? Like being reasonable. No one's ever like, I really just want a reasonable guy, right? Like, uh, you know, like no, nobody's putting pictures of Ryan Gosling up, hashtag reasonable, right? Like it, it's, not, it's not happening, but it's practical and it will bring joy to your life, right? If you want a hashtag for today's sermon, I was thinking this week, you could just put not, uh, sorry, not sexy, but biblical, right? Like it's biblical to be reasonable, Right, like it, you will be living out scripture if you're a reasonable person. So we should strive for that. And I'll be honest, most of this chapter isn't really sexy. It's, it's just very practical stuff for our life that will bring us joy. So I wanna go on to another key that Paul gives us uh, in this same passage, in this same chapter. It, it starts with the rest of verse five and we'll move through verse seven. He says this, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I heard a few of you quoting that with me. If you're like me, maybe you had a mom that prayed this verse over you all the time. Uh, I could quote this off the top of my head just because my mom prayed it over me. I have several verses like that. I don't know where they are in the Bible, and I'll be reading. I'm like, oh, I know this one because my mom prayed it over me, right? Um, So thanks, mom. But in this passage, Paul gives us a key to joy. He gives us a reason for that key. He gives us a way to live out that key. And he gives us what the results of that key are. And so I want to talk through that. The, the key to joy here that he's, he's saying is, is this. Do not be anxious about anything. Right? And that's easy to say. That's easier to say than, than to actually live out. But he gives us a reason why we shouldn't be anxious. And it's found in that little phrase right before do not be anxious. He says the Lord is at hand. This phrase literally means the Lord is near or or the Lord is beside you. Like he's right there with you. And if we believe that he's God and he created the whole universe and he created us, and if he was right by us, then there really wouldn't be much to worry about, right? Like nothing's more powerful than him if he created everything. And, and, And if the worst thing that can happen, as we said in the first week, if the worst thing that could happen is dying, and then after that we get to go be with him forever, there's not much that should scare us if we know the Lord is on our side. I love, there's this worship song I, I, I love. Um, 
it's by this band called Citizens, and it's called Oh God. And the whole, all the verses, they just sing different places they're at in their life and how God is near. So they just say like, in the valley, oh God, you're near. At my lowest, oh God, you're near. And they just sing all these, and it's taken from Psalms, but I love that. That like, no matter where we are, God is near to us. He's with us. And if we, if we believe that, if we trust that, if we know that's true, then we wouldn't be anxious about anything. He then gives us the how, the, the reason that we should do this or a way to live this out. He says, in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So instead of freaking out, we talk to God. Instead of talking to everyone else, we talk to God. Instead of posting it to Facebook first, we talk to God. Instead of running a WebMD and self-diagnosing with cancer, because it's always cancer on WebMD, uh, we talk to God about it, right? We, that's what we do. That's our default. We, we talk to God with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving. And we go to God with a thankful heart. Lord, I know this looks bad, but you've come through a lot in the past. And, and I'm thankful for that. And so I'm, I'm facing this again. I'm facing this issue and, and it's tough. And I want to freak out, but I trust you. And I know you're near. And I know I can rejoice even in this moment when it's tough, when, it, when it's not cool, when I'm not excited about the circumstances I'm in. And what will this produce in our life? What's, what's the results of living like this besides just being more pleasant to be around and, and, and being a cooler person? Um, the result is this, that the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and mind. Man, it, this is a peace that if you don't know Christ, you, you, there, there's just no way to like communicate it properly to you. Like you have to experience this. There's just some things that, that people can't explain to you without you experiencing. And this is one of those things. It's a peace that when all your circumstances say freak out, when everything around you says be depressed, when everything around you says, you know, just go crazy over this thing, you have a peace. And it's past your understanding. It's past, like, I should be freaking out, but I feel good because I know the Lord is with me. And some of you guys have experienced that, and it's, it's good. Like, when you have that, you're like, whoa, like, I should be freaking And you tell people what you're going through, and they're like, yeah, I would be freaking out if I was in your shoes. And you're like, yeah, I probably should be freaking out. Like, that's a good point. Um, I know, I, I think the first week, I, I wasn't here, but Michael shared the story of the guy who wrote it as well with my soul, right? If you weren't here, I'll just kind of recap real quickly. This guy wrote, how many of you guys know the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? All right, at least you know the, the chorus because it's pretty much the phrase I just said, right? You just sing that over and over. Um, the guy who wrote that, I mean, he, he, he wrote that, the story is that he sent his wife and his two daughters across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, they were in America. They are going back to Europe. He sent them over. The boat uh, got into a wreck. His daughters died. His wife barely made it out alive. When he found out, he goes to join them, he, or goes to join his wife, and the captain stops and says, hey, you know, this is where your daughters probably, probably died. I'll, I'll give you some time to show your respects. And in that moment, he starts to pen this song, it is well with my soul. And he says things like, when sorrow like sea billows roll, you know, you've taught me to say it is well with my soul. That's a peace that passes understanding. Everything in him should have been freaking out. Everything in him should have been shaking his fist at God and saying, why? But instead there was a peace and it passed his understanding and it passes our understanding. And sometimes even as Christians, you can look at someone that's a Christian and go, I don't know how they're going through that, right? Because you think if I was going through it, I would be freaking out. But then you go through something like that and God comes through and he gives you that peace. And in my life, this has led me in so many ways. I'll preach heavily against asking God for signs, like, you know, you know, make it rain tomorrow or, or make it a, a rainbow or whatever. 
But I'll say this, when I'm making decisions, I ask God for peace. I just say, Lord, I have some decisions to make. I don't know which one to make. I'm a little nervous about them. I just need your peace. And I'll be honest, that's, that's how I hear the Lord. Like I'll have something in front of me and one, I'm uneasy about the other. Maybe I'm a little uneasy about, but there's a peace. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. And when I listen to that, when I follow that, like it turns out well, I go with the Lord. And when I go against that, I normally end up in a mess. So we don't freak out because we know God's near and instead we pray and rejoice and God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds, our emotions and our intellect. That we rejoice in God and it produces peace. And that's why it's so important. It's so important to our joy to be able to rejoice and to have that peace in those moments. Now, for time's sake, we're not going to go through every single verse in Philippians 4. I want to jump down, though, on the same subject of peace and go to Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Because here's what Paul does. Paul is such a good author. He's so smart in the way he writes things out and the way the Holy Spirit inspired him. Is that he knew that there's one thing that robs people of peace. There's one issue that over the ages has always robbed people of peace and joy. And that's money and resources. I mean, since since... It existed. This has been something that people have worried about. Will I have enough? Will I be able to provide? Will I be able to feed my kids? And and so Paul addresses this in this same context of talking about joy, talking about peace. He says this, starting in verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but had no opportunity. I want to stop there and just say, basically what Paul is talking about is that the Philippians church is, is really generous And they've been generous to him and they've given to him in the past. At the current moment, they weren't. And now they've started giving to him again. And he's saying, it's not because you didn't care. It's just because you didn't know there was any opportunity. And now you know, and you're, you're already giving again. And so he says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives, who strengthens me. Right? Another verse my mom prayed over me. Uh, And so I'm defaulting to the translation. She prayed over me. Um, So Paul knew, just like I know, that declaring something like have peace, have peace, don't be anxious, that one of the first things our minds would go to is our bills and our budget and our, our, or our lack thereof, right? That we would go, uh, yeah, I would have peace except for you don't know how my household is. Like, you don't know what my bank account's like. You don't know what my job situation's like, Paul, right? And, and, and so Paul goes right for that issue. He doesn't go over a bunch of different issues. He doesn't really talk about, I don't know, your health or, or, or your family. Or He goes right to finances and resources because he knows this is something that would steal our joy and would steal our peace. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm tight. I'm eating ramen noodles and not because I'm in college, right? Like, and Paul says, I understand that. I've been there. I was talking to a guy this week who, who grew up in a, in a poor family. And he said, yeah, I used to eat, uh, I used to eat bread and drink soda because it would help the bread expand and I'd feel fuller longer, right? And I was like, I didn't know that was a thing, right? Like, I, like my family had some rough times. But I guess we never got there, like the bread and soda trick. I didn't know tricks to stay full. Um, but Paul's saying, you know what? I've been there. I've been hungry. I've been in need. I've been low. And, I, and I've had a lot. And I've been in abundance. And in both, I had to trust Christ for strength. Right? He's not discounting one or the other. He's not saying, and when I was, when I was in need, when things were bad, I had to really cr- tr- trust Christ for strength. And when everything was good, like I didn't. Like he's saying in both. In everything, I trust Christ who gives me strength. I know what both sides of that coin are like. 
Because you can be rich or you can be poor through Christ who gives you strength. God will give you strength. And here's the key to joy in this is that we need to learn to be content. And again, not, not sexy, but biblical. Nobody was ever like, I just want to be content. Like that's not, but, but, it, but it's practical and it will change our life. And being content isn't lazy or apathetic, but it's rejoicing in the moment. It's knowing that if it takes me six months to get into better circumstances, or if it takes me six years to get into better circumstances, I'm going to rejoice. And if for some reason my whole life I'm not in better circumstances, I'm going to rejoice. And, and I'll just say there, there are people in the Bible who never experienced good earthly circumstances, and they loved Jesus. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is John the Baptist. This guy lived in the desert. He wore animal skins, and he ate bugs his whole life, right? Like his whole adult life at least. And then after that, he got arrested, he got put in jail, he got beheaded. That was his life. And when talking about John the Baptist, Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever lived. So John was doing something right if Jesus said he's the greatest man who ever lived, and yet his circumstances were pretty much the worst. Like, I really can't think of much worse. Bugs, animal skin, beheaded, right? Like, there was no, like... There was no retirement plan for John. There was no 401k. There was like, that's it. But, but he, and so we need to understand that, that our circumstances aren't what determines our joy. They're not what determines our peace. That when we trust Christ and we know he strengthens us, all of those circumstances, we can have the same amount of joy in. We can rejoice the same. And when we demonize either side of the income line, we're out of step with scripture. We're out of step with the way God views money and resources. And so there's kind of two extremes and we, we've hit them before, but, I'll hit them really quick. The two extremes on this are, are basically the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel. And when you add anything before the word gospel, it's no longer the gospel, just so you know. Like if you want to say, oh, the blah, 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 it's not the gospel anymore. The gospel is the gospel. It's simple. It's that we're sinners and we need Jesus. That's the gospel. And he's come for us and he saved us. And so the prosperity gospel says, oh, if you just have enough faith, then you'll get more health and more wealth and more material goods. Right? And this is garbage. It's not found in scripture. And I hate it because, you know, you can turn the TV on and hear this guy. If you just, if you just give some more money to my ministry, God's going to come through on that need. If you just had more faith, you'd be able to pay your bills. I'm like, really? Like, do you know who's watching you? There could be like some single mom whose husband just left last week and she owes rent tomorrow. And you're telling her if she just had some more faith, she could pay her rent. Like you put that on her. Right? Like that's, that's garbage. It's not the gospel. And on the other side, you have people that are saying, oh, no, if, if you drive a nice car, if you have a big house, if you're part of the 1%, then you're evil. You're not like Jesus because he was poor. But then they forget that there was rich people in the Bible. Guys like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He was a Roman soldier, a guard. He was a rich guy, and he was generous, and he was giving away money to lots of people, so much so that it got God's attention. It says that his, his alms to the poor were like a, a, an offering to God, that he noticed them, and he sent Peter to share the gospel with him. Basically saying, hey, Peter, this guy's got it. Like, he's, he's already doing the things I want people doing, so go share the gospel with him. And then he got saved, and his whole household got saved. And so there's no, there's no way we can look at either side of the income line and go, oh, that guy's more godly, or that guy loves Jesus more. No. Like, we need to learn to be content in all situations and realize that Christ is there on either side of that line. And then he wraps this portion up with saying in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I love that verse. And I think that it's important that we keep it in context of those last verses that we need to be content. Yes, he's gonna provide all of our needs, 
But yes, we'll still experience low times. He's gonna provide all of our needs. Jesus actually says that our father knows our needs before we even speak them, and yet we'll still struggle. This verse was never meant to mean that Christians don't struggle. It was never meant to mean he's gonna supply all your needs so you will never be laid on a bill or you'll never go into debt or you'll never have a struggle. Like those will happen. You will struggle at times in this life and you can still love Jesus and you can still be content in that moment. And and, and so we move through this and we find that we can have peace even if our circumstances aren't ideal. And even as we're working through them, Again, not lazy, not apathetic, but as we're working through them, we can have peace. We can be content. We can be reasonable. And so I want to wrap this whole series up by going back to the beginning of Philippians 4. So if you have a Bible, go to the first verse in Philippians 4. And I love this verse because here's the deal. We've talked about rejoicing always. We've talked about joy beyond ourselves, about Christ being the focus of our joy. And today about just some practical things we can do in our life to be joyful always. But I love this verse because I think it sort of sums the whole thing up. Paul says this, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And this is what I love that he does, is he tells them that they are a joy to him. And I think that's huge. Their lives, the way they're living, the way they're giving, the way they're operating as a church, they're a joy to Paul. And so the challenge here, the key here, is that we should live to be a joy. I was thinking about this week. Are we being a joy to those around us in our life? Are we being a joy to the people we interact with? Like, do they get around us and experience joy because of our lives, because of the way we speak, because of the way we treat people, because of the way we act, because of how generous we are? Are they experiencing joy through us and seeing Christ as a result? Are you a joy to your boss, right? Are you a joy to your spouse? Some of the guys are like, I thought they were the same thing. And some of the single guys are like, nah, no, that'll never happen. And all the married guys are like, oh, you'll still be single. All right, are you a joy to your, your kids? Are you a joy to your family? Like, do you, you, you get home and your kids are like excited, like, yes, mom's home, dad's home. Or are they like, oh, let's see if they had a bad day or not. And then we'll know if we can play around with them. If they had a bad day, I'll just leave them alone. Right? Like, no, because if we're rejoicing always, even on a bad day, we should be able to rejoice and be a joy to those around us. Are you a joy to your pastor? Are you a joy to your small group leader? Are you a joy to the people that God has put in your life? If not, it's time to change. And that's the great part about the gospel is that it always is producing change in us. It's always producing new life in us. And so if I'm reading these verses and we're going through this book over the past four weeks and you're going, man, that's not me. I'm not joyful. I don't rejoice always. I probably rejoice rarely and, and I criticize often or I, I, I complain often. Well, it's time for change. It's time, it's time to start to change. It's time to let the Holy Spirit start to work on your heart and change the way you act. It's not just who you are. You can't, oh, I'm just a critical person. It's just my personality. No, it's time to change that personality. It's time to let Jesus actually do some work on your heart and make you into the new creature he wants you to be. So we're gonna do this. We're gonna wrap up. And in just a moment, we're going to have some time to talk about our small groups. And I'll just plug this really quick. It's a great place to build joy. It's a great place to get around people who are also rejoicing and will challenge you in those times when you're not rejoicing. And we'll find ways to encourage you when you're in those circumstances and seasons where maybe it is hard to rejoice. 
So if everyone could just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to wrap up here. We do this every week. If you are here today and you're saying, man, I would love to rejoice like you're talking about, but man, I'm not plugged into Jesus. I, I don't know Jesus. I'll just say this, the joy, the peace that I'm speaking of, you, you don't experience it without Jesus. You just don't. It's not found in yourself. It's not found through good books or motivational speakers. It's not found through inspir- inspirational movies. It's, it's not found in those things. Joy is only found, true joy is only found in the Lord. David said in Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. The most joy you could ever experience is in the Lord. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to go ahead and put your hand in the air and pray this prayer with me and come to know Jesus. If that's you and you want to come to know Jesus today and experience that joy, I want you to put your hand in the air. All right. So we're going to pray this simple prayer. You guys can all repeat after me. We'll all do it together. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me yours. Give me your joy. Let me rejoice always. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just thank you today for these people here. God, I thank you for our church. God, I thank you that you have called us to be a reasonable people, to be people that are content, to be people that rejoice always, that are a joy to those around us, God. God, I thank you that you give us strength to do these things, that we're not left on our own to just try to try really hard to be joyful or try to ignore the circumstances. No, Lord, I thank you that you give us the strength to do that. You give us the strength to walk out what you've called us to in your word. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we rejoice in you today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.